Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. A few days ago, one of my kids came back from school with a decidedly underwhelming math quiz grade. So we sat down and tried to work backwards to figure out how this happened. And it didn't take long to figure out that there were two things that led to this. Problem number one is that the kid wrote the formula down incorrectly in their notes. Problem number two is that because the practice problems they were assigned to do in the textbook did not have answers in the back of the book, they didn't realize they were making the same mistake over and over until they got their quiz back and saw all the red ink. Needless to say, whether it's learning a new math formula, directing choir rehearsal, running sectionals, rehearsing with your trio, or even practicing on your own, the more effectively and sooner you can pinpoint relevant errors, the more efficient your practice can be. Which I know is super obvious, but are we actually as good at detecting errors in our playing as we think we are? Or might we be missing more things than we realize? As I was stewing about math textbooks and why they only provide half of the answers to all the practice problems, like all the evens or all the odds, but not both, I ended up stumbling across a whole set of studies on error detection in music and thought it might be interesting to look at some of what researchers have found in this area. You know when you show up for a first orchestra rehearsal feeling pretty good about yourself because you looked at your parts ahead of time, but then you discover in the most spectacular way possible that the F natural in measure 72 was actually an F-sharp? Well, the first step in becoming a better error detector is knowing what correct sounds like, having some sort of internal standard of performance to compare things against. So in a 1996 study, 30 undergraduate music students were given some time to do score study in one of a few different ways, and then asked to identify the pitch and rhythm errors contained in the selection of music. And between score study alone, score study at the keyboard, and score study with an error-free recording, score study with the recording led to significantly better detection of pitch and rhythm errors than studying with the score alone. Of course, noticing note and rhythm mistakes is pretty basic. It doesn't take long before these things stick out like a sore thumb. So what about error detection of more subtle things, like tempo, phrasing, articulation, vibrato, tone, and so on? Like... Is there some sort of error detection hierarchy, perhaps? Do we have a tendency to notice certain categories of errors more readily than others? 
Well, it's not actually all that clear. One pair of researchers suggested that we might be inclined to notice rhythm first, then pitch, tone quality, and loudness. But a couple studies from 1989 and 1992 found that participants noticed pitch errors more easily than rhythm errors. But then there are a couple studies from 93 and 97 in which participants tended to be more accurate in detecting rhythm errors than pitch. So in fairness, I think this is a really tough thing to study because not all pitch and rhythm errors are equal. Their obviousness depends on a lot of different things. For instance, if I'm listening to a violinist play and it's something I know well, all things being equal, I'm probably going to notice pitch more than rhythm. But if I'm listening to a flutist or bassoonist or some instrument whose rep I don't know very well, it's very possible that rhythm might be the thing that my ears go to first. Which kind of gets at what might be the most interesting takeaway from these studies. Specifically, that as the complexity of the music increases, like the number of lines or instrumental parts, or polyrhythms and so forth, the more difficult it becomes to identify errors. And how exactly is that interesting? Well, I promise to come back to this in a second, with implications and actionable takeaways. But first, let's take a quick look at a related question. Namely, does the act of playing an instrument compromise our error detection abilities? Well, a team of researchers recruited 55 music ed students and assigned them to one of two groups. One group played either the soprano or bass line on a piano while listening to recorded choral excerpts with rhythm and note errors, as if they are directing choir rehearsal, while the other group just listened to the excerpts. When asked to identify the errors in the recordings, the playing group had a significantly harder time identifying the mistakes. Some actually thought it was a trick, as they couldn't identify the mistakes even though they knew they were supposed to be there. As one participant said, It was much harder to hear the mistakes than I thought it would be. We should have more practice with this in our methods classes. Of course, if they knew the pieces better, or if they were more experienced, I could see how they would get better at error detection. But then again, the better one knows a piece, the more subtle the errors become, and hence more difficult to detect. So I could also see how the act of playing one's instrument could potentially interfere with one's ability to detect errors at any stage of learning. So what's the solution? Well, recording, of course, which takes us back to the finding that as musical complexity increases, our ability to detect errors decreases. Which suggests that even if you have a recording and aren't trying to catch every single error or imperfection in real time as you're playing, it's still quite likely that you'll miss a number of things unless you make things easier for yourself. And how would one do that exactly? Well, music education professor James Bio makes a couple suggestions in that 1997 paper I briefly alluded to a moment ago. Suggestion number one, listen for just one thing. One way to amplify your error detection ability is to simplify the task and listen for just one type of error in just one part, like listening just for intonation and the soprano line only, and then perhaps listening for intonation and rhythm and the soprano line and gradually increasing the number of things you listen for by either adding additional error types or instruments or parts to your radar screen. This way, if you have a tendency to fixate on intonation, you can totally immerse yourself in a recording and make a note of all the intonation issues. But then, when you listen back a second time, you can totally ignore intonation and only listen for rhythm issues, which might reveal that there were bigger rhythm issues lurking there than you realized. Suggestion number two, divide and conquer. It seems that the same sort of approach could apply to live listening too. And incidentally, this seems to be an argument for the existence of sectionals, where there is less complexity to sift through, making it easier to pinpoint and troubleshoot problems. 
It also seems to explain why it can sometimes help to have individual members of your chamber music group stop playing and just listen to the rest of the group play. With more cognitive resources to devote to listening without the distraction of playing or your own expectations and intentions potentially distorting your perception, it might be easier to get a clearer, more accurate sense of what's actually happening. So to sum up, to maximize your error detection ability, one, record, two, listen back, three, start simple by either listening for just one category of errors or listening for just one thing in just one part. Number four, increase complexity gradually, either by listening for additional musical elements or by analyzing multiple parts simultaneously. You can find links to this week's study and other resources like practice hacks and the audition cheat sheet at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week. <laughs>